Thank you. You know, we've done this so long, this seems normal. Birthdays, anniversaries, so, you know, God's good. Amen. We're, we're, we're glad to be here yes, this morning. We we're glad to be in the presence of God with you in the house of God. And uh, we have come to strengthen your faith today. Amen. I trust that when you came in the building today, you came in expecting God to do something for you. I was reading in my Bible this morning. We had such a good time last night. We've had a great time all weekend. Yes, we but we had a great night last night with God depositing some truth into our hearts about how much he loved us and how much he desired for us to know that love. And you know, in my Bible, in the book of Ephesians, I've got written at the top of chapter one, my adoption papers. And you know, more than anything else, God wants us to have an understanding of how much value he places in us and how he has made us accepted. Pastor Joel just talked about us being made right in the sight of God. Well, when God looks at you and I, he looks at us with eyes of love. He's not looking at us to condemn us. He's not looking at us to find fault, but he's looking at, at our lives to strengthen us and encourage us, uh, encourage us. And he wants us to know when he says grace be to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants you to know that he's abounding to you with all of his love That's and his right. ability and his power. When he says peace to you from God, our Father, Paul wrote this in the first chapter, peace be to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that he wants you to live in a place of absolute mental rest, absolute physical rest, absolute spiritual rest, so that your faith can work. <laughs> when you live in rest, your faith is working. Right. When you have an evil heart of unbelief, you are living in a place of unrest. And so God has come through his son to give you this abounding grace and peace. And he loves us so much. I love this in the Passion Bible. I don't know if I can find it on my phone right now. But it made the statement that, you know, when Jesus came, when the, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and, bat, and he was baptized, what did the Father say? Do you remember? Yes. This is my beloved, beloved son, son in whom I am well, well pleased. pleased. And I think it's the New Living Translation that says, I find great joy in you. I love that. And so last night when we were talking about all of the love of God and the things that God was doing in our hearts, I was thinking about the Spirit of God saying, you are my beloved son. You are are my beloved daughter and in you I am well pleased he chose us he adopted us it was his good pleasure to adopt us and draw him into his family and so every time you begin to doubt how much God loves you may you by the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your lives and impacting you fill you with this assurance and confidence that God has set his love upon you and every day he is moving towards you with great grace and peace That's so right. you can That's abound right. in the love of God and that love will keep you so rooted and grounded you are able to open up your hearts nice and wide and love other people for he says he says, open wide yeah. your heart because I am coming to you at full speed to enlarge you, to increase you, to stretch you from wall to wall, side to side and top to bottom. I'm going to fill you up and you will know most assuredly that you are my well-beloved son. You are my well-beloved daughter and in you I am very well pleased. And no further that when that love begins to grow and nurture and seems to break the seams of your very soul, know that it's filled there, not just for you, but for you to go forth yeah. and touch your friends yeah. and touch your neighbors yes. and simply say, God loves you just like he loves me. It's the beginning of a new season, oh, the beginning Father. of a new day yeah. to know and to walk in the fullness of God's yeah. love for us all. Yeah. So I say grace and peace be to each and every one of you today. Amen. 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 I know Jean only looks like she's about 26, but uh, uh, we've, uh, we will have known each other and have been dating, been in a relationship uh, coming up 50 years this coming, coming on, July. And uh, Come on, baby. that's a long time. I'm thinking about renewing my subscription. Uh, 
Another thing happened to me on the way down the elevator today. A woman got in the elevator, and I said something quippy about making room for everybody. She said, okay, I'll snuggle with you, she says. Jean's standing over to my right, and then she's, she's a woman my age, and she looks at Jean and says, are you his wife? And she says, yes, I am. And the woman says, I'm sorry, I was flirting. My husband's not here. Jean said, that's okay. Today's our 46th wedding anniversary. I have no insecurities left. <laughs> Hallelujah. You get married and you think that you get married and that you won't have troubles. You think that you get married because you know what love is. That's why that's, you get married and you think you know. Uh, when, I got, when we both got born again, I was a bad actor. I was just a bad actor in the drama. I don't think I realized how thin it was. I don't know that I would have actually cared as much as I should have. But Gene said many times since those days, we hadn't gotten born again. We got born again on the same day, 50 miles apart. We both came home from work, you know. One of us would have come home and said, I'm selling drugs or, uh, or I'm a gun runner now. Uh, they would, it wouldn't have caused near the excitement for both of us to come home and say, I've got something terrible to say to you. And I think that's what I said. I got something that I don't know how I'm going to explain this. I got, I got born again. Oh, really? She says, I did too. I thought, are you just saying that? You don't even know what that means. <laughs> But she said many times since that our marriage was uh, was really on the rocks. We'd about had it. We'd been disappointed. Yeah, thin ice. You could hear it cracking. And uh, uh, I remember thinking at the time when I found out when I read the scripture, it said you have to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. And it, it goes on. It says anybody that loves brother and sister and mother, father is it, it more than me is not worthy of me. I thought I could never, I could never love anything more than I love Gene. What I didn't realize is that my heart was shriveled and shrunk. I said to her this morning, I, I love you more than I loved you 50 years ago. I said, then I thought I was the Mississippi River, just a broad, big, fat river full of water. But I was just dirty little bird creek. I, there, there wasn't nothing there. And that's the thing about, that's the thing about your relationship with the Lord. Little by little, you may have some smashing moments where the dam seems to break and the water break and the water pours through and tens of thousands of gallons. But in truth, little by little through your encounters with him, the overarching, the overreaching thing is he, that he's doing is enlarging in your, your heart through your intimacy with him. So you really do, like the song said, get to know what love is. And in the process, it's the most natural thing in the world to take that love and pass it along to the people around you. The, the part that requires spiritual manhood, spiritual maturity, is in having the conviction and having the strength, having the boldness uh, and even the toughness. Yeah, toughness is not overstated. To, uh, to get your feelings hurt, your toes stepped on, you get to get offended. You don't marry someone because your love is perfect. You don't marry someone to be happy. Happiness is the fruit of a lot of hard work. You marry someone from God's perspective to find out so you can find out that you have no idea what any of this is about. So that you can, through meeting with your spouse and building a family, you can encounter your own inadequacies as well as theirs and learn to make choices. I don't know how hard it would be. I can't imagine how hard it would be to stay married for decades and not have Jesus in the center of your relationship because the obvious thing that you'd do would be to retreat, to get hard, to get hardened, and to become cruel and unfeeling. Anybody can survive if you just turn your feelings off. But if you turn your feelings off, you don't ever really actually know what love is either. So you can put the pain down, but you can't put the pain down and put the pain away except at the cost of losing that immense reward, that fulfillment that comes from having been the recipient of love. This is the earthly purpose, probably the main earthly purpose, certainly one of the main ones, of your relationship with Christ is to be so in filled, so imbued with the spirit of love that you are able to love the unlovely. Jesus said, by your love shall all men know you're my disciples. 
He didn't say by your miracle working power. He didn't say by your cool organization. He didn't say by your style, by your smart style, by your smarts, or by your skill. He said by your love, because that is the one, that is the one unimitable thing that you have. That's the one thing that nobody can ever fake, is a love that persists in the face of rejection, in the face of disappointment, in the face of adversity, in the face of someone, you say, I love you. They say, I don't love you. You say, ah, it doesn't matter. My feelings aren't hurt. This isn't about my self-worth or value. It's about God's. I love you. I love you. And I'm strong enough in him to persist in that love. That's why you get married. That's why you go to church. So you can learn how to love with that kind of love because... Jesus, looking upon the multitudes, loved them, healed them, fed them, taught them. Jesus, looking at the broken, loved them. Those that rejected him, loved them. And that was the key to the anointing, to the strength, and to the power. We're going to talk about the love of God, and we're going to do my very best, at least I am, to link the idea of the love of God with the Spirit of the Lord. We talked about... Last night we looked at a couple of scriptures out of Romans and out of 1 Corinthians 14, and it made allusions, both, both verses, both passages, in fact, a lot of passages in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit and love are mentioned in the same phrase, the same verse, or just within the same thought. You can't, you can't come up with this kind of love in your own strength. The love of God is supernatural. For any of you who doubt that God wants, to live you a super, wants you to live a supernatural life, all you have to do is remember and recollect that he actually does love you and he wants you to love people. And he knows that with that love that he's loved you, wherewith he's loved you, that you have to love others. That is the key to flowing in the supernatural. That's the foundation for us all. And if he didn't want you to live supernaturally, he wouldn't spend his time trying to encourage you and to move you along so that you did love people supernaturally. Praise the Lord. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Church has been great today. We call it quits right now. We thank you for your word. We ask that you open up our heart and our ears to receive with meekness your engrafted word. Holy Spirit, talk to each and every one of us. Lead us and guide us into truth. We give you the thanks and the praise for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, if you would. We're going to look at a handful of verses, then we're going to come back and look at a passage. We're going to look at them all in Ephesians. Ephesians. This is, a, uh, is probably a life study, if anybody just wanted to study it, the study of the church in Ephesus, because there's so much about it in the New Testament. It appears everywhere. It's in two chapters, two full chapters of Acts. Starts off with a bunch of believers and even so much as heard that there was a Holy Spirit getting filled with the Spirit. There's 12 of them, I believe it said. And then, uh, then it ends up in 19 and 20 with Paul coming and having what's effectively the first pastor's conference. And pastor's conferences are very important, Joel, and, and your dad knows this because the idea isn't just to get a vacation. The idea is that, it, that in those gatherings, in those gatherings, the fabric is knit together for men and women to share their lives so that when trouble comes into their life, there's something, hopefully, that the Spirit of God can use to sustain them. So never feel like the time or the money taken to do those things is wasted. It may not ever have to be cashed in, but it's the best kind of life insurance there is. It's a spiritual life insurance that's more than the meeting itself. It's the, it's the fabric where lives can be joined together so they can be saved when pressure comes, because pressure does inevitably come. That's how chapter 20 of Acts ends. Paul's talking to the elders that he's raised up there for the, for the region, and he says to them, uh, from out of your own midst, men are going to rise up and there's going to be trouble. We don't hear any more directly about that, but when Paul writes to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, he's talking about people in the church that are causing trouble. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy, Timothy is actually in Ephesus. So there's... There's Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and, and 20. There's, there's these six chapters that we're going to look at quickly this morning. There's First and Second Timothy that are context for Ephesus. Then there's that wonderful portion of Scripture over in Revelation chapter 2 that Pastor Joel told me he read from last night, where he says to him, you've lost your first love. 
just as a thought. I've preached many times that that's a renewal for our love to the Lord, and certainly it is. But if you read that portion of Scripture carefully, Paul, uh, uh, John records that Jesus said things like, I've seen your works, I've seen your sacrifice. I know what you've suffered for my name's sake. He says a bunch of attributes that you wouldn't do if you didn't love somebody. But then he comes along and he says, you've lost your first love. It just is a matter of interest. Just as a matter of interest, the word love is used in the book of Ephesians 14 different times. And every time, it either talks about God's love for you or your love for one another. Only one time at the very end of the letter, in chapter 6, does he say, and all of you who love the Lord be blessed. Some version of that. So while the point of losing our love and our respect for the Lord is an important truth we need to practice, it's bigger than just that one simple thought. Because what he's also saying is, you really can't represent me if you don't love each other. You really can't be who you're supposed to be if you don't understand that the relationships you have inside of the church, that you have inside of your marriage. Gene and I have a supernatural marriage. We never fight. I thought we fought. I thought we fought. We fought with elegance. We fought with dignity. We, we didn't raise voices, but we were emphatic. We were clear. We were strong. We repositioned and came around. We sailed around to the other side of the ship and had a broadside from this direction. But it was all very civilized. So one day, about 20 years ago, I said, you know, I can't outsmart this woman. I just, I just can't. I just can't. I said, oh, in my best spiritual self-pity, I said, I am so tired of fighting with you. She looked at me like I slapped her. Fighting? She said, we're not fighting. We're just having a talk. My heart just sank. I said, whoa, I'm not going to get far with this. <laughs> you have a supernatural relationship, not because it's always peaceable, not because it's always pleasant, not because it doesn't have difficulties in it. Right. Right. It's actually probably supposed to have some difficulties in it so that you can both reach and grope through the darkness of your life and find where Christ is at. It's okay to have a little trouble as long as you're on the same side with the Lord Jesus. Jesus is on my side. Well, he's on my side too. Then we have to come to the same conclusion eventually. If I have the mind of Christ and you have the mind of Christ, sooner or later, we've got to come to a resolution here. That's in church. That's in marriage. That's in family. That's in every supernatural relationship the scripture has ordered you to have. And every relationship you have is supposed to be supernatural. So Paul's saying these things to the, to the Ephesian church. And we're going to camp in chapter 3 in just a minute. We're going to get a couple of verses getting there because, <clears throat> because the entire book of Ephesians seems to me to be, be about the idea of fullness. Fullness or being filled comes up. About four or maybe six times in the in the book. And the first time it shows up is down here in chapter one, verse ten. As it says, he's talking about Christ returning, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time. So there is there is a fullness to times. There is a right time to do something. And it says in the fullness of time in this case, is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You you know when the time's right. Because stuff comes together. And there is a divine time where everything comes together. But there's a divine time in church life where the time comes together to build a building. Where the time comes together to make a change. Where the time is there. It's important to find the fullness of those times. Not just the idea of them. Not just the taint. But the fullness of them. So there's a fullness of time. Now I'm, I'll tell you why I'm reading this. Because there's a, there's a fullness of times. There's... There's twice where he talks about the fullness of Christ, and he talks about the fullness of the body, and this will probably just, just be sufficient right here. You can look in, in chapter 2 and, and 123, he talks about, about how Christ comes and fills the body up with himself, and it's a beautiful scripture in that last phrase of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 33, because uh, 23. The idea is, is that Christ is the fullness, but yet you are his fullness too. So he fills you up 
But he needs you. And he needs you to be filled with him. If there's any part lacking, then the other parts have to do double and triple duty. If there's any part missing, then somehow, in some way, Christ is incomplete. Now, we know he's never incomplete because he's complete in us and we're complete in him. But how much easier, how much more life is there when we're all joined together and receiving of his fullness and of his fullness passing along to others? So there's a fullness of his body. And again, in that phrase, it talks about the fullness of Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 13, it talks about coming to a place of unified maturity in the fullness of Christ. And so even if you just looked at the idea that the fullness of Christ is here in our midst today, but we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to come along and preach to us so that in that fullness we can become more perfect. Fullness shouldn't necessarily make us feel like we're always complete and always ready. It talks in Ephesians chapter 5 about be being filled with the Spirit, which is a version of fullness. There's, there's the fullness of Christ. There's the fullness of times. There's the fullness of the body. But what we're going to look at in chapter 3 is got to do with the fullness of God. And it links it in that same paragraph to the love of God. It gives us the idea that if you want everything there is to do with God alive and working on the inside of you, if you, if you want to see him do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or think, that somehow being connected in the fullness of that love, because it says the fullness of God, not the fullness of love, somehow, somehow that idea is that the fullness of God's love is so overabounding that it overflows, that it Maybe, let's say for this conversation this morning, and you can think it through on your own, that it goes beyond just the cup being full. It's a superabundance and it runs over. The love of God, the love of God, not just the love for God, not just an abstract of God's love in a, the sense that we all think that he so loved the world that he gave his son, but the love of God, the love of Christ, us witnessing it and experiencing it gives us an understanding of who God really is and all that he's done. Chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse number 15. These are the scriptures we read last night. 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire... Oops, that's a wrong chapter. Same, 14's on the same place in the same page. For this reason, he says in 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, from whom all fatherhood and familyhood derives its name and nature is a good rendering, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I said last night, and I need to say it again, because you have to, you have to remember these things. These guys are people just like us. They, uh, they have good days, they have bad days. They have more spiritual days than they do other days. There are certain immutable truths that do not change. But how many of you know that even though you've been filled with the Spirit, there are days you're more filled with the Spirit than other days? At least if we judged it by any kind of a metric that monitored your mouth, your thoughts, your behavior, or, or the way that you carried yourself. I know in my own self that if I, if I pray like I should, I, I have no fear of anything. But intuitively, when I don't pray, when I don't keep myself built up, then anxiety begins to creep around, then anxiety begins to creep around the corners of my life. When, when I pray enough, and not just read the Word enough, the word, the word will throw a log on the fire, but it's the fire of spiritual prayer that has to be stirred up from cold embers to make it burn into something that gives off heat. That I can find a scripture somewhere that will answer my fears and my needs, and for a moment it will give me a piece of hope. And I'll think, oh good, I have hope regained. I can go on and be, be about, my, about my business here. But then through the chaos and the confusion of the day, my mind begins to wander, and again, those, those, hungry, those hungry beings that would devour my soul, that would devour my faith, 
that would devour my hope, those fears, those thoughts begin to creep up from the edges to try and reclaim the soil of my soul that I've tended so well that I've broken up the hard ground and planted the seed. The weeds begin, the vines begin to try to grow in from the forest of life to reclaim my crop. I'm glad you're not like that. It tries to get me. And I know that I can go back and look at that scripture, but oftentimes when I go back and look at that scripture the second time, the moment's passed. The moment's passed, not because the scripture's not true, but because now my believer's been tainted by my anxiety, my disappointments. And they go, and I have to be able to look at that scripture and pray in the spirit and look at that scripture so that that scripture begins to take a deeper root into my heart so that my hope doesn't just come back, but my hope and my joy, my strength, my faith is sustained. It's sustained through my prayer. So, so it's, it's, not, it's not as simple as just the, the, the word that we practice. It's not as simple as just finding a scripture. It's about that word becoming your flesh and dwelling in you. It's about that word becoming so big on the inside of you that regardless of what your circumstances seem to be or feel like, that you know that that word is the truth for your life. That's the word that gives you hope. That's the word that gives you, that gives you victory. And notice, notice he says here that since we are all like this, he said, I'm praying for you to be strengthened with power. Well, these are a bigger group. They're a different group. In chapter 19 and 20 of Acts, he's preached to all of Asia through his Bible school that he had probably from about 11 to 4 in the afternoon daily. What a wonderful thing to do. All of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So whether those same 12 guys are there, I, I don't know. But I know it's the same body of truth that's been planted into the Ephesian church and that he's having to come along again and pray for him in such a way that he's saying, you started off like this, like he said to the Galatians, you started off like this, but life has sort of dampened your flame. You've sort of grown cold in yourself, and now I'm praying for you to be, to be strengthened right now, which means that for he's praying for them to be strengthened, they couldn't have been strengthened already, or he wouldn't have prayed for it. Through his spirit, through the spirit. So strengthened with might by his spirit. This phrase, strengthened with might, is very important and profound. He says, in your inner being, one of my study books, more than one, half a dozen of them, Smart guys, heavy hitter guys. Uh, they say that the preposition there is not actually in. The preposition's in two. So where it says strengthened in your inner man, at least it says there's a bigger picture being drawn. It means being strengthened into your inner man. And it, and it draws a different picture. It draws a picture of something more than your inner man carrying around like a like a jar of like a, like a plastic bottle of water and the water's in the plastic bottle it draws a picture of the substance that's in that container by pressure forcing its way into the container itself so that it becomes like the container i said last night and it's pertinent now that we are we are vessels of clay and we carry about that treasure in this earthen vessel, right? You know by experience that sometimes vessels, uh, if you pour the right substance into an, un an untempered vessel, if you pour the right substance in there, the vessel itself takes on the aroma, the flavor, the stain of what you poured into it. So that once you've done this, it's no good for anything else. I, I will tell you this. I will tell you that as a believer, you've had, just by coming to church and listening a little bit and trying here and there, you've had enough of the weightiness of God's spirit and presence poured onto the inside of you that you will never be any good for anything else again That's outside good. of Christ. That if you want to pour the juice back out on the ground and you want to just have your vessel back and be you, You'll never be the first-class sinner that you used to be. No, no one else will like the sin that comes from your bottle. 
when you pour them a drink, they'll say, this tastes funny. You taste funny. You're not who you used to be. You used to go to church. You used to be a Christian, right? Yeah, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not a Christian anymore. You might, but you've been flavored. You've been flavored. You've been tainted. This is the kind of picture that it's drawing. Is that through the weight, through the pressure, he's just resting there, pushing himself into the cracks and the crevices and the broken spots of your life infiltrating who you are, right. changing who you are. This is in part why you have to be strong because sometimes when the Spirit of God begins to deal with our hearts and our lives and try and change us, particularly if no one else knows what's going on, right. we try and resist it, we try and pull back from it, we try and act like we didn't hear him say what we heard him say. I've been guilty of this, thinking that as long as I don't ever tell anybody what was said or don't act like it, then I'm, I'm clear. I won't have any problem with this, but something's happened down inside of me. I've begun to be changed, and now I'm in disharmony with myself if I don't, if I don't act like I heard what he spoke for me to do or for me to have. We are vessels of clay. I am by no means an expert in this, so please please don't think I'm trying to talk beyond myself, but I happened to come by a piece of knowledge recently about a Japanese art form called, I believe, Kintsugi, and I hope desperately there's no native Japanese-speaking people here. <laughs> because in English, it looks like Kintsugi, but I have no idea how you would really pray it, say it. Have you ever had uh, a favorite coffee cup that you chipped? Now, what in the world makes a favorite coffee cup? I don't know. But we all have favorite coffee cups. We all have favorite, we all have favorite, I guess we have favorite coffee cups because when we're drinking that cup of coffee, we have a thought from the Lord. We're drinking that cup of coffee, we have someone come tell us how much they love us. When we're, that, that coffee cup is of itself nothing, but it's associated in our mind and our heart somewhere with something that's good that's happened in our life. Don't you suspect that's true? That's why it's our favorite, because we got good feelings about drinking coffee out of this cup. That's English, right? That's English. So you have good feelings. And you know how you felt when you uh, cracked that cup. Maybe you chipped it. Maybe you cracked it. Maybe you had to throw it away. Somewhere along the line, in our world, in our culture, we think that when something's cracked, it's no longer of any value and needs to be destroyed. Oh, man, i got to get a new favorite cup. and It'll take me a lot of happy thoughts for that to be my favorite <laughs> cup. So I want to pick a cup that I'm going to someday want it to be my happy cup. But because it's not my happy cup, now I'm mad at it. Because it, every time I look at it, it just tells me my happy cup's gone. <laughs> but someday I'll have some happy thoughts, and then I'll like this cup, and then I'll get over having lost that cup. We are... We are earthen vessels ourselves, and we are cracked, and we're flawed, and we're chipped. The Japanese, seems like 500 years ago, there was this really Japanese warlord-like guy who broke his favorite teapot. And being a warlord, he wasn't used to being resisted on such a level. So he said, I don't want to throw this away. I want somebody to fix this. So he was overseas, and he sent it back to Japan and said, fix my broken teacup. Okay. They had an old-fashioned way where they clipped it and stapled it. It showed up. It probably looked like something I tried to make out of a paper notebook with staples in it. He didn't like that, so he sent it back. And he gave him instructions. He said, take it and where it's cracked, make, make a glue and seal it with the glue, but put gold or some other precious metal in the seal. So from there, this became an art form. There's far bigger than that, there's far more detail to it, but you can see different places, different museums, you can see pots that are made and they've got little ribbons of gold that run all around them where somebody dropped them and they were broken. From the philosophy of it all, their, their belief system is, is that that's just something in the life of this usable item. This, this tells part of the story of this cup. 
I'm not telling you to do this with your cup. This is just part of the story. And so when I get my cup out, my friends say, well, there's a new, there's a new uh, old stripe running down there. What happened there? Oh, I was having an argument with Gene, and I slipped and knocked it off the thing, and I broke the lip. And then we, we both quit. Oh, well, you broke your cup again. I picked it up, and I got it fixed. Bearing in mind you are that cup. You are that vessel. You are filled with the spirit of life. You are filled with the most precious substance on the planet, the water of life that touches everything and brings life and restoration as it flows and as it goes. All the cracks in your life, all your wrong attitudes, all your fears, all your refusals to go forward, all your betrayals and betrayals, all your disappointments, they too tell your life story but they don't have to tell your life story in such a way that the broken pieces are just swept away into the garbage. They tell your life story because of that spirit that lives on the inside of you and permeates through those small, tiny gaps, through the cracks in the vessel, bringing healing, bringing sealing, and bringing change. So that when someone says, in the cup that belongs to Gene and I both, the vessel that we are now is one in the Lord. It was cracked through the things that happened in the 60s and in the 70s. It was destroyed. The lip was broken off. But he said, you know, you broke that lip off, but I so, I'm so willing to invest myself in you that I'm going to take that broken spot and I'm going to seal it up with gold. I'm going to seal it. Sometimes they do it with platinum, sometimes with silver. I'm going to seal it up so that it's the most spectacular part of who you are. So that when anybody looks at you and says, you know, I don't think Dave and Jane's marriage is going to last because they're both too young and they're not very good at this. I don't think it's going to last. And then all of a sudden they see us somewhere down the road and we're happily in love. They say, what happened to you? Say, Jesus, yeah. Jesus filled in the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> now, I say this because in life, many of us think we're too cracked, we're too damaged, we're too broken to be of any good use to the Lord Jesus. Because after I got saved, I said things and I did things. After I got saved, after I was in the ministry, I made mistakes and I hurt people and I did things wrong. After I was married and had grown kids, I said things wrong to my children, but not Jacob. I said things wrong to my children, and, and, I, and I hurt feelings, and I did all sorts of things. But you know what? You know what? The broken pieces in me being on trial, it's about what God's done to beautify those places by His Spirit, by His presence. So whatever goes on in your life, Whoever you are, know that the fullness of God, the fullness of His Spirit, is so large in your heart and in your life as an earthen vessel that it's His intention. It's intention to fill you up, and even if some of that leaks through the crack, it seals as it goes. Even if some of who He is finds its way to where it weeps out into the other side of the vessel, it colors and stains the outside of the vessel as well. So anyone looking at you would say, I know this person. They're carrying around something on the inside of them that's of great value. Me, I'm empty. I have nothing to slosh out. I got nothing to lose. But this guy here, he's not only got a full tank inside, he's managed for some of it to come through and seep through the cracks and gloriously, beautifully seal them up and bring healing to him. This is your life that brings evidence to God's goodness and God's existence. This is what he does with us all. So if nothing else comes from the service this morning, when you do leave, please leave knowing that the failures in your life that you allowed the Spirit of God to get into the broken places in your life that you allowed him to have even some seepage into. Little by little, he reclaims it and he beautifies you. And be aware that when he shows you off, 
He's not bringing you out to say, good gene. There's never, I've never cracked gene. gene. I've never dropped gene. Good gene. Good gene. He brings gene out and says, these were all the things that were. You know, when you look at the jars that I was describing, you weren't thinking about what the jar looked like. You were imagining what a, what a stripe of gold in that jar might look like. You were, you were looking at the part that had been beautified. Because in the end of the day, where you've been beautified is what says, what tells who you really are and what your worth to God is. He brings you out and says, look how this has been repaired. Look how this has been redeemed, how this has been restored. He says, in this paragraph here, he says in verse number 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, apparently he wasn't, so that you being rooted and grounded in love, apparently they weren't, may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So he's talking about being strengthened with might in chapter 1. That strength he's talking about is the strength to comprehend. It's not necessarily just the doing kind of strength. It's to understand. And that's what we're doing today. That's what I hope he's doing in all of us is giving us a strength to comprehend and to know in verse 19, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, and there's fullness again, with all the fullness of God. Now he goes on, he concludes, he says, because these are profound thoughts. To him who's able to do far more abundantly than what we ask or think according to the power at work within us, according to the power at work within us, according to the power at work within us. So he's, yeah. he's still yeah. carrying on with the same thought. He's not saying, so whatever you think about, you can pray about. And I use it like this. It works. Mm -hmm. To him be glory in the church. And to him be glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's really saying, you can't understand this. You can't do this. You can't figure this out on your own but unto him who's able to give you the understanding. Unto him who's able to cause you to comprehend what kind of love that he has loved you with. Unto him be all honor and glory because this is paramount. This is part and parcel with your future, with your high calling of God in Christ Jesus to know that you are both loved, to know that you are both loved and to be strengthened in that love so that you are willing to let him soak down to the inside of you, rework, rework you, change that part of your inner being, even though you're born again and filled with the Spirit. It's the pressure of his presence in your life forever that floods through the crevices and the weaknesses of your life to renew you to be a beautiful, yes. a beautiful piece of art for all to see that he's written on the canvas of your heart yeah. what, what his glory, what his beauty, and what his strength is. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Amen. Anything to say? Oh, I have so many things I could say, but I think... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to wait and see where you take this. I was going to wait to see what you said before I decided where to take this. <laughs> well, I... I've got the tent. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sensing how much the Father desires for us to know that we are his creation, right? We're his workmanship. And yeah. so at every place in our life, God is at work, both to will and do of his good pleasure. And he has made each and every one of us special. He's made each and every one of us unique, and we have value to him. So when God comes into our lives, he comes to do a beautiful thing, right? And so today he's really working by his spirit. I love that where it says that it's by his spirit, by the power at work in us. And that power at work in us, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that's energizing and, and permeating and staining us. This is what he said last night with the very love of God. So this love comes to impact our lives. So, so could you just stand up with us right now? And let's just trust the Spirit of God to do that deep, deep staining. A deep, deep staining by his Spirit that will so permeate our lives that when we can leave this building today saying truly, 
truly, I have been touched by the love of God. Something's shifted in my heart. Something's shifted. Even, even I might not understand it, but I know something has changed in me today. I'm, I'm sensing value. Yeah, I'm right. sensing acceptance. I'm sensing a, a welcoming by my Father that says, I am loved. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you have anything here you would like to do? I don't want to, I don't want to take anything. No, away you're from right ahead. Okay. You're good. All you're right. Good. So may I pray? I don't know, Pastor Joel, how you, how you end your services here. So, so I'm just sensing that if there's anybody here today that is living in a place of absolute brokenness, could you just lift your hands and, and acknowledge this place of, of saying, I, you know, Father, come. Come today and bind up. Come today and stain my life. Come today and fill the cracks and the brokenness places that I might walk out of here in a place of freedom and rest and peace that you desire anybody at all I'm not going to ask you to move out of your chairs just in a way to acknowledge that the Spirit of God is working in your heart and lives so can we lift our hands let's all lift our hands to heaven and say this after me father father how I love you how I love you and today I'm so thankful and today I am so thankful that it's by your spirit that it's by your spirit that you are at work in my life that you are at work in my life Holy Spirit Holy Spirit have your way have your way do exceedingly abundantly do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think beyond all that I could ask or think by the very love of God by the very love of God you release in me now you release in me release in me now Holy Spirit come Come and breathe upon our lives. Come and breathe upon our lives. Breathe the breath of life. Breathe the love of God. Breathe the healing virtue of your very presence into our hearts and lives. Father, help us go from one place of strength to another place of strength. Father, by your spirit today, increase our capacities to acknowledge that we are loved. Increase our abilities, Father, to understand that we might have a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation in the love that you have for each and every one of us. Father, increase our lives today by your very spirit, by the precious, precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Spirit, I thank you that right now you're brooding over this place. I thank you that you're hovering. I thank you that you're working. I thank you that you're sowing life. I thank you, Father, that he's healing hearts. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you that you're binding up broken hearts. Father, I thank you that you're bringing healing into marriages this day. That's right. I thank you, Father, that by your spirit, you're restoring the places of loss. Father, you're binding up the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Oh, God, by the very love of God, the walls are coming down. The walls are coming down. The walls are coming down coming down by the very spirit of grace by the grace of God by the peace of God by the love of the father that's working in me I can forgive can you say this with me I choose to forgive I choose to forgive I choose to forgive I choose to walk in forgiveness I choose to walk in father we thank you today we thank you today for healing in our homes for divine supernatural healing in our homes that the lost return because they find a place of love and acceptance they understand value oh God I thank you that you enlarge our capacities for Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know the dark. I know the darkness. Yeah, I think it is. And I know the depths of your heart. I know those things that you wish had washed away, that you hope were never seen, even by yourself, much less anyone else. But the Lord says, I'm familiar on those things, on those fears, on those broken places. And I breathe on them. I breathe on them and blow them away. I breathe on them 
and I breathe life into you in every way. I say, shh, be calmed, be at peace. You're perfectly right with me. You're perfectly washed and restored and renewed in my sight. When I look, I don't see cracks and fissures and gaps. I see gold and precious stones, beautiful things that have knit your broken frame together. The more you're broken, the greater value you have to me. Let me redeem. Let me breathe on you. Be at peace and know that we are one. I hold you in my heart as a treasure of great value and of great price. Thank you, Father. Father, for my part, I commend all these people to you and to the word of your grace. We're so grateful for the time we got to spend with them, for the love from you that we were able to share. Strengthen them, guard them, protect them, keep them. Bless them, fill them up, that they may be to overflowing with your fullness, with your richness with your ever-freshing ripeness. Strengthen, bless, encourage, heal, redeem, make new. Now may they have strength and courage to hear and follow your voice in those next things, those things that they should do. Lead them and guide them into truth to walk along your pathway. I thank you, Lord, for I know that great fruit comes from all of our lives because of our relationships that we've shared with each other and with you even today.